A-S-I. This is season three of the podcast. The results season. What is, what results? What, what, what is that? My name is Russ Shaw. I said that already. Uh, anyway, those of you friends of Russ Shaw, welcome to the podcast. Like like friends of Bill W., right? <laughs> those, those of you who may uh, may have called yourselves an addict, right? Sitting in a meeting or, or someone may have referred to you as addict type, right? Those of you who maybe like myself have suffered from impulse control problems or as I like to call it, people of... Uh, people the, the the 11 people <laughs> welcome thanks for listening here you go what do i mean by that here here you go check this out this is a top to uh you know what we use on stage but it's very very special because if you can see yeah the numbers all go to 11 look right across the board oh. 11 oh, 11 and most of 11 the and then amps go up to 10 exactly does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not ten. You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to eleven. Eleven, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder these go to 11 that is uh from the film spinal tap i was watching the the tv show house and uh here in the states it's a tv show about medical mysteries and the and the doctor guy is this character who's just a just a mess of a human being right has his has his issues and somebody, somebody was asking him why he behaves the way he does, and he said, uh, he said, well, I, uh, I, I'm an addict. I, I tend to take the things I like and crank them up to eleven. That's, like, I'm, I'm going, wow, you know, it, there's a lot of truth to that right there. Tell you what, um, anyhow, this is uh, Easter coming up as I'm recording this. Some people call this Holy Week. Some call it Passion Week, which I, I think I like better. You know, um, Jesus going to the cross and the, the whole thing with Jerusalem and, and Palm Sunday. You know, Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into to town and they, they lay palm branches down as he comes in on a donkey. And he's like this, he's like this rock star, you know. 
some of those same people who, you know, oh, wow, Jesus, awesome. You know, they think that he's, he's going to solve all their problems instantly. <laughs> you know, they have that kind of idea in, in, in their mind that he's going to become, you know, he's going to become this king and he's going to clean up this big mess that the Romans have, this kind of short-term historical idea that they have of, of what he's there to do. And that's not what he was there to do. Um, he goes to to the cross, you know. Good Friday. Good Friday at my church is 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 crazy, you know. Mars Hill Church in Seattle. If you ever come around this time of year, it's it's quite a it's quite a sight, you know. You get like the, the rocker folks, you know, young, you know, folks. I, I, most of the folks at, at the church I go to are younger than me, which is cool because I kind of have. Uh, arrested development you know like emotionally I'm, I'm emotionally I'm, I'm still in my early 20s anyway uh, so 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 I like that you know and but what's cool is on Good Friday like people come in wearing you know like dress for a funeral you know you'd think it's like goth time at your high school in the 90s or something I don't know because everybody's kind of like it's a somber affair this is Good Friday and and there's a sermon and you know the music is kind of dark and and rocking like dark because basically Good Friday signifies the fact that we as human beings killed God I mean that's kind of a dark thing it's kind of a, a sad affair but you know Two days later, see, it's the religious people that did it too, right? It wasn't like the the jacked up bad people or the you know the Jerusalem mafia that did it. It was the it was the Bible college guys, you know. It was the morally upright in the eyes of men folks. That's who crucified Jesus. It it wasn't you know, I mean Jesus loved and was friends with, and that's one of the criticisms of the Pharisees is that he hung out with. People like you and me, you know, the the partiers, the the drunkards, the prostitutes, um, tax collectors. I, 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 he didn't go to the seminary to get followers for you know early followers to to build this new church. It was it was fishermen and and, and sinners, you know. It was a motley crew, so to speak. And some of you may be thinking at this point, what does this have to do with overcoming addictions or strongholds in our lives? I'm getting to that, all right? Just bear with me here. Um, so the, the folks with the impulse control issues, right? That Maybe the artsy types or the, the sinners, you know, are, does that make them better than the religious people? No, not at all. See, the, the, the sinful religious elite Pharisees have stirred up the crowd, right? So those with a, a weak will who are easily sucked into conforming to the energy that's been stirred up by this, by this crowd, you know, fueled by a, an anger towards Jesus because, number one, and this is very important, that Jesus keeps saying he's God, right? making himself equal to God and, and, and saying that I'm the son of God. They don't like that. Uh, and also, they, you know, they are saying that, okay, if you're God, then how come you haven't cleaned up this whole, you know, 
mess, this, this Roman government, this evil regime that's taken over this area and has us living under oppression. How come, how come you haven't solved that, Mr. God? Right? I mean, that's their angry attitude towards Jesus. And, and for me, in recovery, this has been my attitude. Honestly. I, I, my doubt and, and anger towards God just had a, had a lot of t- to do with that kind of energy. Like, you're, do you love me, really? Um, I'm just uh, that, That's something, some of the stuff I had to work through. See, the Pharisees, whose hearts have been darkened by their kind of controlling, you know, not liking that Jesus is calling himself God, not liking that he keeps challenging all their rules that they made up that aren't in the scriptures, right? That's what religious people tend to do, make up, make up different rules that aren't in the Bible, right? Jesus challenges those. Jesus says things like, I'm going to be this new king, and, and they... See, if we're honest, we realize that it, it's like we think we're more moral than God, right? Like that's really part of this disbelief and stirring up and trying to come up with our own ideology because we don't like the way God's doing things. So we want it our way, right? And then we morally judge God. Like if, if I was God, I would do it differently. You know, this is the way it should be done. This is the way it ought to be done. Why isn't God doing something, you know? So we either reject him or we start to fade into disbelief, into hard-heartedness, into this cold, I got to do it my way kind of energy. You know, and, and I relate to this. And maybe some of you who have prayed, you know, God, take this from me. I remember praying that with tears in my eyes after failing again. God, take this from me. Seeing some of the suffering in the world and and crying out to God, God, do something. Why don't you do something, you know? The Pharisees have that kind of frustration towards Jesus and, and start to organize this plan to crucify him. Relativism is something that is easy to you know, it's easy to swallow when the heart grows cold. Um, for some of us, you know, you ask, what is love? And, and someone says, oh, it's a feeling or an emotion. It's kind of like looking at the Pacific Ocean and saying, it's blue. You know, it's it's so much bigger and, and more vast than that. Love is spiritual. Being in meetings with addicts and, and, and speaking with addicts and... and understanding, you know, just being in a lot of different groups with a lot of different folks. Um, there's a lot of heartbreak out there. Like, I don't know anybody whose story is rosy. I mean, people who, who battle addiction, people who are continually fighting addiction have, have heartbreak in their past. They have some kind of heart wound. Most you know, the, the, the largest amount and, and the ones who haven't just simply are talking about it. Whether it's a divorce during childhood or, you know, a heartbreak, a relationship that split up or, I mean, there's, we have sensitive, fragile hearts, all right? And, and for some of us, 
especially if you went to college, it's easy to take that stuff and just, you know, fall onto relativism and, and, and this kind of weird energy that's out there. Actually, it's, it's, you know, I love that song by Muse, that unsustainable energy. When, when our, our energy, when our love energy becomes unsustainable, it's usually because of this kind of vague, like, there's no truth. I mean, and, and, and that's funny that they say that. Like, that's kind of a thing in colleges right now. Like, that's, that's how you define relativism. This, well, you know what? There's no absolute truth. And if you think about that statement philosophically, I mean... Okay, is that true? That's what I would ask, okay? If there's no absolute truth, then what you're saying is that that, that statement is true. See, the, the statement, it's, it refutes itself. It's a self-refuting statement. It's bonehead kind of philosophy that, that, we, that I used to fall back on. Like, what if there's no absolute truth? What if we're just, you know, floating around in a sea of ambiguity? I mean, there's nothing that makes the heart grow cold like that kind of lostness, you know? And the sick thing was that I would defend this thing, you know? Like, how dare you? I'd raise up, raise my voice, like violently defensive with my vague, ambiguous, relativistic definition of love. Like, how dare you challenge that? And I'd make excuses, and I'd change the subject, and if I could talk louder than the other person, then I figured I won. And I, and I didn't even know what I was defending. Like, if you asked me to put my finger on it, I couldn't, I couldn't describe it to you. Well, who can really define love, Russ? Jesus Christ is the definition of love. You know, spirit, you hear all the spirituality talk. Like, oh, it's just, it's just spiritual, man. All right, spirituality is about Jesus Christ. All right? It's not religion. It's not. It's, it's Jesus is the flesh, spirit, reality of God on, on planet Earth. And as I say that, you know, some of you may feel anger like rising up inside you because I did when I was challenged with this. And really, again, it was kind of like my, that emotion rising up inside me. And I, I had to stop and think about it. Because what was really being challenged wasn't, you know, what I knew to be true because of my broken heart or because of my, my jacked up past or, you know, the things I didn't sign up for in my life. It was simply that I had, I had learned and I had been behaving out of a kind of comfortable, warm stew of just relativistic laziness. You know, non-challenging, you know, it didn't threaten any of my values as a person, which were very little, right? It's kind of like the, the, the analogy, you ever hear the analogy, um, how, do you, how do you cook a frog? Like, how do you boil a frog alive? Well, you just throw the, the frog in a pot of boiling water. No, because frogs, they'll jump right out. Like, you can't do it that way. If you want to boil a frog alive, what you do is you put them in the pan cold water and you just turn up the dial ever so slowly until he doesn't realize that he's being boiled to death 
and honestly, I think that's what we're seeing out there with the, you know, the fatherless kids and the divorce culture and, you know, uh, 30 to 40% of kids tonight going to bed without a dad. I mean, it, it just keeps getting worse because of this, this ambiguous erosion of love, right? Love being diluted down to some unsustainable energy of just kind of selfish comfort. It's like taking our own selfish short-term pleasure and turning that dial up to 11 until that's that's what matters, you know. My, my issue has been for years that I tend to react emotionally first and then think rationally later, second, you know. And usually that has to do with cleaning up the mess that I've made. It's like, you know, I say addictive personality so people can understand, but really, I, I really believe that there's a, a spiritual aspect to those who most of us would, you know, say are addicts, you know, this impulse control, is it, is it that we are more driven by spiritual energy than we are, you know, cognitively, and, and that's not necessarily a good thing either, you know, it depends on the object of, of worship. Um, I heard one person say that, you know, it's easier to apologize later than it is to ask for permission. Like, that's that's a, a selfish, narcissistic statement, but there's some truth in that from some of us, if we're honest. If we, if we evaluate our will and, and look at ourselves honestly, do we do that? It's like a habit formation that was set in place by attitude. I call the show Attitudes of Sexual Integrity because, you know, attitude changes everything. It really does. It's part of our spiritual energy. Where do you place your faith and hope? And out of that springs forth your attitude. And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you'll know that I don't consider myself a, a religious person, right? Like, I approached this story that we learn about this time of year during Easter, you know. They call this, again, Passion Week. Um, if this story is true, right, if this guy came to earth, did miracles, right, he was born in, a, in Nazareth and he was kind of the outsider guy, like he wasn't born in a palace, like a, like a ruler, like some king, you know, out of any other book of the Bible. He wasn't, you know, born into royalty. He was literally born in a barn. So he performs miracles. He, he talks to people. He loves people. And, you know, if this story is true, it is the most important story in human history. So, so that's what I would challenge you with, that, you know... What if this is true? Like, I used to see it as bad news, you know. I just viewed this thing as religion. And when I did, I, I thought of it as bad news. The fact that God has certain rules that pertain to my genitals, right? Like, that's, that's the bad news. And, and what if it's the good news? All right? I mean, that's my challenge for you. A lot of you are listening because of jacked up sexual issues. And I, and I start talking about Jesus and you want to turn the channel because you think that's about religion. My challenge for you is what if it's not? What if it's just true? And if it is true, again, it's the most important historical moment in history what happened on Easter. 
you know, 2,000 some odd years ago, whatever the date was. Um, it's like God reaching through time and space, you know. Jesus and his passion and going to the cross and during this week, Passover and, and, and the gospel and you learning that, right? What if this is God telling you his story and reaching through time and space that you might know, that you might understand? The book of Romans, you know, says that, that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Because the good news is that he is who he says he is. The stone was rolled away and three days after he was killed, crucified, all right? This bonehead kind of theory that Jesus didn't die is just silly. When you look at the historical data and facts, they shove a spear up under his rib cage, puncturing his heart sack. Blood and water come rushing out. You don't survive that kind of thing. All right? He comes back from the grave. There is no tomb where Jesus is buried. All right? Jesus' DNA is not out in the desert somewhere. That's a, that's a myth made up by theorists who have nothing and no concrete evidence to prove that. Jesus is in heaven Seated on a throne in heaven, you know, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three in one, sitting outside of time and space. You know, people think that, you know, the Trinity is just so complex. I heard, a, I heard a guy talking about his Irish grandma explaining the Trinity to him. And he was just a little kid and he said, he said, I don't get it, Mom. How can, how can God be one and God be three? And, and she reached down and picked a clover. It's springtime. In my, in my area, there's a lot of those around, you know. She picked up a clover and held it up and said, how many clovers are in my hand? And he said, one. And he said, it's, you know, the, the leaves, they're different. They're distinct. They're unique. Unique relationships. Is there any evidence of this? You know, there's tons of people that reject this idea of the Trinity, and I think a lot of that is birthed out of, again, this kind of self-righteous attitude that why would God put on human flesh and, and walk among dirty, riffraff human beings like you and I? You know, it's, it's that cold-hearted, like, people don't matter. What if people do matter? God created us, and what if the, the, the ultimate sacrifice was worth it to God because of that kind of love? I'm a, I'm a premise guy, you know. It, it, people ask, is there any evidence of this Trinity thing in the Bible? Well, of course there is. Genesis 1, verse 26, and, and this is where God is creating people, all right? God said, let us make man in our image. Do you hear that? I'll read it again. Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every living 
creeping thing on the earth. That part of God creating us is to give us this gift of the earth and to cultivate it and to be good stewards of it. This is God's relationship with us. You know, you might have heard that in Sunday school. I did where, you know, somebody said that, oh, God created people because he was lonely. That's not true. God did not create people because he was lonely. He's God. He doesn't get lonely. God exists in a set of living, alive, right, loving relationships with himself. C.S. Lewis called it the great dance. God didn't need to create life out of love. God is love. And out of love, he created life. You see this play itself out in sexuality, where God makes men and women differently. Like I heard a feminist say that, oh, men and women are different. No, they're different, all right? I've seen naked people. Men and women are different, all right? But we're designed also physically to come together to make one flesh. And that's not just a, it's not just a flesh thing. That when we get married, the two very different persons would come together and our selfish rough edges would grind against each other. That if we stick to it and if we cling to love, that we would become one, right? Out of two, oneness would occur. One love, as, as Bob Marley would say, right? It's, it's a picture, it's, a, it's an example of, of, of the Trinity, of God's creation. See, it's not that we would get more pleasure and try and accumulate or consume more stuff to get more pleasure. That's not what makes us happy. It's appreciation for the pleasures that we have. And it's realizing that there is a God who created those things to be appreciative too, you know? Jesus is alive. That's very, very good news. He walked around again after he was crucified. Thomas, one of the disciples, Thomas the doubter, I, I so relate with this guy, right? Thomas the degenerate, right? The degenerate doubter, this riffraff guy doubting. No, that's not Jesus' attitude towards him. He says, Thomas, feel my hand. You know, put, put your hand in my side. Look, the, I did. I was crucified. I'm here. And he says, and he says, my God. And this is one of those things that, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses don't like. You know, all throughout the, the, the Old Testament, when, when angels are, you know, being worshipped as God, like people see an angel, they freak out, and it's like, oh my God, they drop down and worship, and the angels say, no, don't worship me, I'm not God. Thomas says to Jesus, my God, my Savior, right? And Jesus doesn't rebuke him, because he is God in human flesh, in time and space, I, that That is so important that you understand that, that you get the Trinity, right? Well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Neither is the word sexual intercourse. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, right? On Twitter, there's a guy, at Jerry Jeter. He's a, he's a pastor in Tennessee. He's a pastor at Highland Church in Tennessee. And, and he does this uh, hashtag body life. Um, to clarify that, body life is, is kind of a metaphor that Jesus uses, that he says that Christians are his hands and feet, right? Like, we are the body of Christ. We make up the body of Christ. And and this hashtag body life, is, this guy started, and it, it's a, a huge blessing to me. 
something he tweeted um, earlier today that, that, that is so true is that when we get close to him, when we seek out his presence, by reading this story, you know, this could be a great start for you. It's not that you just sit down and read the Bible. You need to do that. No, it's that you would seek out the presence of God, that you would let him speak to you. That you would let this thing collide with your heart and soul. It'll encourage you. You know, it's, it's this self-condemning or when the religious people condemn and, and tell you that you, you're not worthy of grace, that you have somehow screwed up so bad that the, the cross isn't enough to cover your sin. It's just not true. The cross covered your sin. It covered my sin. Again, you can start reading it in, in Luke 22. Um, this... This is God's love for you and I. It's, it's huge. If you let it into your heart, it will change your worldview. It will change your definition of love. It will help you see that love is bigger than you are. It's bigger than something that just comes out of you. It, 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 can, it can be reflected from God out of you and it's, it's way bigger than you and me. God is love. That is a different, another different philosophy than any other religion. God doesn't just say that, that he loves. He says, I am love. And listen, that is an energy that will grow from the inside out. It will change you from the inside out. Like, yeah, it's cool that we can do disciplines that will change us on the outside, right? That we would put our willpower, our hand to the plow, so to speak. And, and, and work on our stuff. But the cool thing about the gospel is that it, again, it, it changes your worldview on love and, and it grows from the inside out, right? You look at your spouse differently. You see the world differently. It's a different energy. That's how I would describe it. It's a different energy. It's not merely, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, that there's this mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy that they talk about at Oxford University that, you know, if you understand something to be true first and you dwell on that and you're mindful of that, it will change how you feel. This is, this is something different than just understanding facts. All right. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It, for me, it's supernatural. And I'm still a mess, and I'm still a disaster, but I'm a lot less of a disaster than I would be without this energy on the inside. And that's the truth. So I'll challenge the folks listening. Like, if you don't know Jesus, like, seriously, if this some of the stuff I'm saying today is new to you, that I pray that you would... You would shelf your self-righteous skepticism for a little while and, and check this story out for yourself. Open your mind and your heart to, to some truth. You know, maybe start in Luke 22 and read that story. And then there's some of you who believe it, right? Like you've heard the Easter story before. Like you've been in church for a while. Or maybe you just go on Easter and Christmas, right? But you've heard this story. It's kind of like the U2 song, you know? I so related to those lyrics. You broke the bonds and you loosened the chains, carried the cross of my shame. Oh, my shame. You know I believe it. 
but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Maybe you can relate to some of those lyrics and maybe this message today, maybe you need to go back and listen to it again. I, I don't know, but I pray that it, it moves something in you. That you get a paradigm shift in your attitude, all right? That it's about what Jesus did. And if that story is true, if what Jesus did, if what God did through Christ is real and true, that will move what you do in the future. Not through your, you know, I, I gotta, you know, white knuckle through this, uh, but, but through a different heart attitude. I realize when that, that self-righteous kind of energy of ambu ambiguous relativity rises up, you know, it, start to see that. Again, it, it's a closed-minded energy that keeps you stuck. All right. So, and then there's the folks that are addicted and have been addicted for years, addicted to sexuality, addicted to sex, addicted to porn, whatever it is that you would take all the God take it from me prayers would change to a Lord, help me understand, teach me love, teach me grace, teach me perseverance, help me see that love doesn't quit realize that when Jesus says my kingdom is not of this earth that that would move you you know not to just file it away as another neat little theological fact but something that would get in your heart and have you move to action to actually do something all right I, I love you guys man I mean that sincerely I'm gonna leave the show right there um, here's a song by Matt West um, before I play that song, I want to leave you with this. We're, we've been going through the book of Ephesians uh, at our church, and it had me thinking about, you know, the defense mechanism of not wanting to take off this armor-like jacket of, of relativistic, ambiguous, you know, attitude that we, we carry around. Taking it off, right? Laying it down is something that the Apostle Paul uses over and over again in, in some of his letters. And he, he does it in Ephesians 4 as well. But I wanted to leave you with this. Check this out. This is from uh, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here you go. This is Matt West. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. Thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the 
never thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. Yeah. I created you. <laughs> Now listen. If not us, then who? Say than to be, live like angels of apathy who tell ourselves. 